You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR Man, icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Street is on the, the phone. Podcast. It's the Super God, the Air Force Sports Podcast. Sweet. It is Friday, yeah. April 15, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. It is partly the offseason, and we still got a lot to talk about. Here is what is coming on today's show. First of all, we're going to open with Nick Saban, head coach, Alabama. You probably heard of him. Some very interesting comments on NIL. Nick Saban following Dabo Sweeney, following Coach K, following Lane Kiffin, calling out the leadership at the NCAA. I absolutely love it. We're going to get into that. We will then talk about Armando Baycott, news breaking right as Wednesday's episode went live. He is returning, North Carolina star, and I believe uh, North Carolina could be well on their way to being the number one team in the country. Also, speaking of NIL, you got to think that it's a factor with Armando Baycott. We'll discuss that. Then we'll do one of those Transfer Portal segments. You guys and girls love them. We're going to rip through some of the biggest stories from the portal this week. UConn gets a big commitment while losing a big player. Dan Hurley was not happy about that. Uh, interesting, kind of a quiet time at Kentucky. What's going on there? I have some thoughts. Florida, weirdly, I've been critical of their new coaching staff, but really do like what they've done in the portal. Some other odds and ends. Alabama got a commit. Uh, LSU lost a few more players to the portal. So we will discuss at length everything that has happened in the portal over the last few days. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, really, it, it kind of plays into what I discussed on Monday's episode, which is that it is spring football. Uh, and over the last couple weeks, we have gotten a lot of spring practices coming to an end. So last Saturday, we had a Texas A&M spring game. We had a Clemson spring game. And because of it, we got conversations with Dabo Swinney, with Jimbo Fisher. Some interesting things came out of those press conferences and press availabilities. Well, this week, we have a couple big uh, spring games in their own rights as Alabama, Ohio State, among the many programs across college football that are going to have spring games. And so why do I bring it up? No, it's not to break down a spring game or preview that. I will leave that to the other people that do that kind of stuff. That's not what we do on this show. But what we do do is talk interesting things. We do talk interesting conversations, interesting topics, and interesting comments and I thought we got some really interesting comments from Nick Saban this week 
on the state of college sports. Nick Saban again, Alabama is set to have their spring game. And so Nick Saban's doing interviews and doing media availabilities that, that frankly, this is the last time we'll probably hear from Nick Saban until SEC media days. And so because of it, when he speaks, we listen. And this specific week, I thought he said something very, very, very interesting about not only NIL, but the state of college sports as a whole. So what did Nick Saban say? Well, here is what Nick Saban said in an interview with Ralph Russo of the AP. Here is what Nick Saban said. The concept of name, image, likeness was for our players to be able to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities for themselves. That's what it was, Saban said. But that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. You can do it in recruiting. I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. And you can get also get players to get in the transfer portal to see if they can get more money someplace else than they can get at your place. In total, Nick Saban said 88 words there. But I thought they were very poignant 88 words in which he criticized the current state of college sports, the current state of NIL, which we know is out of control. And really more importantly, he has followed in a line, I believe, over the last two, three weeks of the biggest names in college sports calling out where we are in college sports right now, specifically with the portal and specifically with NIL. I was at the Final Four. Coach K, very critical of Mark Emmert and the leadership in Indianapolis. Dabo Sweeney last week, I, I, I focused on the transfer stuff on Monday, but he was very critical of the leadership in college sports. Lane Kiffin has called out the leadership in college sports. And so I bring it up because Nick Saban's comments are the latest from one of the biggest names in college sports calling out where we are and where we're going. And I love it, and I believe that this is a bigger, more complicated, more detailed conversation that we need to have. First of all, in terms of Nick Saban's comments, I'll tell you this, I think he's right. And, you know, I joke about all the time about saying controversial things, doing controversial things. I think the way that NIL was intended was one of the least controversial things that I can ever remember. I have yet to really speak to anybody that is just like, players don't deserve to get paid at all. I mean, I'm sure there are some people somewhere that believe that room and board is enough in today's day and age, but I do think the way that NIL was intended, I think we all kind of agreed, was a good thing. If Oscar Shibway is a national player of the year and is creating insane revenue for Kentucky basketball and is averaging 18 and 15 and is clearly one of the biggest names in the sport, he deserves to make a little bit of extra money when it's clear how much money, how much revenue he is creating for the University of Kentucky. Same with Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama. Gets in, quarterback, Heisman Trophy is a sophomore, has to come back by NFL draft rules for another season. He should be able to make money. He's the quarterback at Alabama, and he is one of the most gifted players in the sport. And you can go across the rest of college football. C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams, college basketball, the guys that might come back, Armando Baycott, which we're going to talk about in a minute, Johnny Juzang. We all kind of agreed that NIL was a good thing. I still haven't heard very many people argue that it was a bad thing or that it should not happen. What we didn't want, though, is exactly what it has become, which is all the conversations that we've had on this show and all the other shows that you guys and girls listen to really over the last two months. It was never intended to be a recruiting tool. It was never intended to be the best recruits go to the highest bidder. 
yet with no guardrails when we put an NIL on July 1st of last year, that's obviously what it became. We know the reports that are out there, and we know some of it is true at this point, right? We know that there is a contract out there for an elite high school quarterback to make $8 million over the course of the next four years. We believe it's the kid Nico that's headed to Tennessee. We're not 100% positive, but we're basically positive. The Texas A&M rumors. We know for a fact that Texas NIL is a huge part of how they're selling uh, high school football recruits in what was the fifth-ranked recruiting class in college football. So we can bury our heads in the sand or we can readily admit this has already completely spun out of control. And I think to Nick Saban's point, what I'm curious about is what are the next steps? Because this ain't going anywhere. You know, I keep hearing this narrative that, uh, you know, the, the market will correct itself. Wait until Tennessee pays $8 million for a quarterback and it doesn't work out. Uh, have you watched college football? I don't think the market's going to correct itself at all for a couple reasons. First of all, we don't even know what the market is, and this is still the problem. It's all under wraps. We don't have any idea. These collectives are kind of working in the dark, and I don't blame any individual school. These are the rules that we have allowed. I don't blame Tennessee. I don't blame Texas. I don't blame Texas A&M. I don't blame Oregon, who, oh, by the way, five-star offensive tackle committed last week. It became very clear it was due to the work of that collective. But at the same time, the idea that the market's going to correct itself, no, it's not, because first of all, we don't know what the market is. So if you're a quarterback and you say, so-and-so offered me $8 million, can you give me ten? Somebody's going to do it. You mean to tell me Texas ain't going to do it? You mean to tell me, I don't know, I'm just throwing stuff against the wall here, but a good enough player, like, like the idea that we're just going to stop, that because one guy is a bust, we're not going to pay guys whatever they're asking for, you're out of your mind. And so the question becomes, where does it go next? Because you think about all the unintended consequences of what's going on right now. I was talking to somebody about this pretty high up in college football. I said to him, I said, if I was, I I think, you know, people have this idea that Tennessee, because they got this franchise game-changing quarterback, oh, you know, he's a galvanizer. He's going to be able to bring in all sorts of guys to come ahead and play with him. I actually think it's the opposite. I think Tennessee is going to really struggle to recruit because we all know the quarterback's getting $8 million. So you think if I'm a parent of a five-star or a four-star wide receiver or a four-star cornerback or a four-star safety or a four-star linebacker, you think I'm sending my kid to to Tennessee for free? You must be out of your mind. I might not get $8 million, but I'm going to sit there and say, my son's a five-star wide receiver. He needs somebody to throw to. That's got to be worth at least two to you. It's got to be at least worth two five. It's got to be at least worth one five. Let's find a number that we can agree upon. And if not, I'll go somewhere else. Same with Texas A&M. I'm not saying Texas A&M did anything. But what I am saying is it's going to be tough to recruit in 2023. And I know they're recruiting pretty well. But the point is, I guarantee there's a lot of parents saying, I heard what you guys paid. I don't know if it's true, but what do you got for me? And so you start to think about all these unintended consequences. You start to think about all these schools falling behind. I find it interesting. Just in the last probably two weeks, I've read three, four, five articles about all these schools that are now kind of rushing out these collectives because they feel like they're falling behind. They feel like if we don't got a pot of money ready to go and calling it NIL, we're not going to get recruits. I can tell you I know of one prominent college coach that was on the phone with boosters on Zoom with boosters basically saying, we are falling behind. You guys got to get a plan in place because we are not going to be able to get the players that we need to compete at the level that you want to compete at if we don't get going. 
And so the question becomes, what's next and where is this going? Think about where college sports was even two, three, four years ago. And think about where it could be two, three, four years from now. I mean, are we going to have $30 million recruiting classes? Are we going to have, you know, an $8 million quarterback where maybe he doesn't work out? Now you got to pay $8 million for the next guy. Where are we going? And so, again, you know what this else speaks to to me? We have no leadership in all of these comments. Coach K's comments at the Final Four, Dabo Sweeney's comments, Nick Saban's comments, they all speak to one thing. We don't have leadership in college sports. And this is the first time as a fan of college sports that I am worried about the future of college sports. Now, look, as long as we play college football, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, they're going to put butts in the seats. Same with college basketball, Kentucky, UConn, Arkansas, UCLA, whoever. But where are we going? And more importantly, where is the leadership? I talked about this briefly a few weeks ago when I was at the Final Four. But at the same time, I remember being in a press conference with Mark Emmert. And you talk about deflections. He had a press conference at the Final Four. Mark Emmert, the leader of the NCAA. He had a press conference at the Final Four. 40-something minutes, he has asked every single big question about every single big topic, and all the guy did was deflect all, sh- all, all, all press conference long. By the way, I'm sitting there holding up my hand trying to get in a question. Nobody, nobody lets me talk. I think they were afraid I was going to ask a tough question. And by the way, the media did ask tough questions. He just didn't answer them. But I bring it up because you should have listened to this press conference. If you can find audio of it, go back and listen. It was unbelievable. He's asked about NIL. What are we doing? How are we going to fix this? What's the plan? Well, you know, it's kind of up to the states, and it's kind of out of my control. What are you talking about? Give us something, Mark Emmert. Ask him about the transfer portal. Well, this is what the college presidents want. We all agreed upon it. It wasn't my decision alone. No, no answer there. Transgender athletes, a topic we haven't really talked about on this show. Well, you know, we follow the Olympic model, and the Olympics decide, and when the Olympics change there, it's like, oh, my God, Mark Emmert. You know what it reminded me of listening to him? It reminded me of the old John Calipari saying, and I might have said this on the show a few weeks ago. John Calipari has a famous saying. He says, if I put you in the game, you don't got to make every shot, but you just can't miss them all. That was the thing with Mark Emmert when I was watching. I was like, Mark Emmert, you don't have to have an answer to every single question. You just can't not, you can't have an answer to none of them. And this guy has no answers. This guy is deflecting leadership. And this guy is just, he's the face of college sports and he's sitting in the corner doing nothing with no plan. He has one to two media availabilities a year. He doesn't answer any question. Then he disappears into his cave, and I don't know what the heck he's doing. And my biggest problem, and it's not just my problem, you know who else is fired up about this? Coach K. You should have heard Coach K talk about this guy. Coach K, right to basically his face, was like, this guy doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Get him out. My problem is he just doesn't have an answer to anything, and he doesn't care. And, like, this isn't Little League. He's not doing this. out. He gets paid millions of dollars to have the answers. I always say on this show, I don't have every single answer, but I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to have every single answer. And so it's so frustrating. I'm so glad Nick Saban's speaking out, and I hope he continues to speak out, and I hope he continues to push. And the same with Dabo Sweeney. You might not like Dabo Sweeney, but he is your friend on this one. Stick with Dabo Sweeney. Listen to Dabo Sweeney, because Dabo Sweeney is fighting the same fight that you are for the future of college sports. Same with Lane Kiffin. Same with Coach K. Same with everybody that is speaking out about the leadership in college sports right now. And I think that's the biggest thing I take away from Nick Saban's conversation is, one, he doesn't trust the leadership, but two, I think he's fighting the same fight that we all are. 
I think he's worried about the future. And you guys and girls can, can say otherwise. You're worried about it too. Because I hear about it all the time. And like I said a minute ago, I think we were all in favor of NIL with the way that it was intended. What none of us was in favor of is what it is now and what it could be five years from now. I mean, just think about it. I mean, I, you know, I think about it all the time. This is going to sound crazy. Are college coaches, especially in football, are they even going to be recruiters anymore? Or is the entire recruiting class going to be put together by a collective? A collective puts aside this much money for this guy, this much money for that guy, this much money for that guy, and the coach's job is just to coach him, almost like the NFL. You got a player personnel department, which is a bunch of boosters, and then you got the head coach to actually coach him. Like, what is the future and where are we going? I don't like it, and I give Nick Saban so much credit for speaking out about this. What I would finally say about it is, I'd be very careful if you're the rest of college football. Because Nick Saban has said this a few times. I mean, if this is what we want college football to be, I don't know. Nick Saban has famously said that a few times. You know when he said that? He said it when all these new age, fast tempo offenses were coming into college football about a decade ago. I'll never forget it. It was when Gus Malzahn was in the SEC and Kevin Sumlin had things rolling with Johnny Manziel. And Nick Saban says, is this what we want college football to be? Well, once Nick Saban realized, wait a second now, this ain't changing, what did he do? He hired Lane Kiffin, and the rest is history. Wasn't in favor of the transfer portal. Well, guess what? Alabama just picked up a fourth player in the transfer portal this offseason, this week. That's probably going to start for them next year. That was the worst thing you could have done with Nick Saban. My buddy Ryan Fowler said it best. He goes, oh, so you're going to give Nick Saban all spring to evaluate his team, and then he can go cherry pick a player or two at a position that he wants? That's the scariest thing you could have done with Nick Saban. And I think what Nick Saban's saying is, okay, you want this to be that way. Every other thing I've done at Alabama, I've done it the best way that it can be done. And if you really want to turn NIL into this, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. But I ain't losing ground to anybody. And so it's an interesting conversation. Um, but man, it's just, you know, it just speaks to where we are in college sports, the lack of leadership. And I give Nick Saban credit for speaking out. That's what I want to do. You want to take a quick break? I do want to come back and I do want to talk a little college hoops. Armando Baycott, star of the North Carolina Tar Heels, he announces he's coming back to college basketball next year. That feels important to me as maybe the best player on the national runner-up is back. What does it mean? What does it mean for Carolina, NIL, all that good stuff? I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. I want to talk a little college hoops. Something interesting happened on Wednesday. Matter of fact, it happened immediately after I posted the last show. Uh, fun fact, I was actually in Vegas. I was with not, not anything crazy. I was with family. My mom has a place out there. I uh, did the show. For the record, by the way, her neighbors complained that I was too loud. Who knew? Apparently, I talked too loud, and it was too early in the morning. Who knew? Anyway, these are the sacrifices that I make for you guys and girls. But I bring it up because... Uh, right after I post the show, I do this great segment, Oscar Shibway, how could NIL, can good players, are they maybe going to come back to college basketball next year? And as soon as I hit publish, what ends up happening? Oh, I don't know. Armando Baycott, the star of North Carolina, in almost an identical situation to Oscar Shibway. I mean, he wasn't national player of the year, but he was first team all ACC, a key component on a near national champion essentially decides to come back. He is not a realistic NBA prospect. There is money to be made with NIL. And so let's get into this because this is, I mean, just a mega, mega, mega story. I think I said it on my YouTube video with the immediate reaction. 
I don't want to say that this is the most important draft decision that will be made throughout this process, but it's pretty darn close. Might not be more important than Oscar Shibuya. Might not be more important than Johnny Juze. Might not be more important than a couple other guys, including his own teammate Caleb Love. But there aren't very many that are as important, and this is right up there with all of them. So first of all, we all watch the NCAA tournament. Baycott is just a star. And I'll be honest, the ACC was so bad this year, I probably didn't watch as much North Carolina as I usually did uh, in previous years. Baycott was so good, and it, it blew my mind. He was so much better than I had anticipated. And listen, again, this is a guy that averaged a double-double, was the runner-up to Alondis Williams for SEC Player of the Year, 16 points, 13 rebounds. But the NCAA tournament, I believe that he really, along probably with Caleb Love, just broke out as the absolute star of the NCAA tournament. You look at the stats, they were not only good, they were literally historic. 15 points, 16 rebounds against Baylor. 14 points, 15 rebounds in a win over UCLA. 20 points and 22 rebounds against St. Peter's. 11 points, 21 rebounds versus Duke. And oh, by the way, on one leg in the national championship game, 15 points and 15 rebounds until unfortunately he went down late. The floorboard, we all saw what happened. But I just bring this up to very simply say, this guy is a really, really, really good player. And now that he's coming back, I think we could start to talk about North Carolina and what they look like and who they could potentially be next season. And what I believe they potentially are right now is probably in the top 10. And if we get word on Caleb Love soon, or if we get word that they get another point guard, I think we're talking about potentially the number one team in college basketball going to next year. And it's really interesting because uh, going back to, to my way too early top 25 from last week, it's funny for me to, to sit back and think about it because North Carolina, to me, was one of the toughest teams to grade coming out of the NCAA tournament in terms of where I had them in the way too early top 25. My assumption was Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, they both blew up in the NCAA tournament. They both played about as well as they could. Their stock might never be higher than it currently is. And so why I bring that up is I just assumed that they were both gone. And so you lose Caleb Love, you lose Armando Baycott, you lose Brady Manick, who was the, uh, you know, the star breakout guy with the beard, another really great player for North Carolina coming out of the NCAA tournament. And I just kind of sat there and say, I don't know what to do with this team. If they just lost their three best players, I mean, who do they realistically have back? R.J. Davis, who in his own right was a star, but he's better off the ball than on it. Um, and, you know, he handles the ball and he does it. But, but I mean, he's a, a playmaker, but having Caleb Love in the backcourt with him really helps. Leaky Black, good role player, defender. He's not a difference maker. Puff Johnson had a great national championship game. But you look at the roster, North Carolina doesn't have any elite high school players coming in. You don't know what they're going to do in the transfer portal. And I didn't know what to do with them. I assumed Caleb Love was leaving. I assumed Armando Baycott was leaving. And while you suspect that they will do well in the portal, you don't know it until you know it. And so I had no idea where to put them. I had them at number 13. I thought that was a little bit generous, all things considered. Well, now Armando Baycott's back and the pieces start to feel really good in terms of North Carolina. Like I said, R.J. Davis, kind of a guy that's on the ball, off the ball, makes plays, makes others better, but also can get his own buckets. He's back. Really, really talented player. You have, obviously, the defense on the wing with Leaky Black, as I just said, but now you have that guy down low. We're going to talk about it in a minute with the transfer portal, how Kentucky seems very quiet. It seems weird to me that Kentucky's so quiet uh, because you have to assume that they think Oscar Shibway is coming back. 
If you got to replace 18 points and 15 rebounds a game in the portal, you'd think you'd, Kentucky would be more aggressive. The fact that they're not leads me to believe that they probably feel like Oscar Sheboy's coming back. Well, now North Carolina, they don't got to worry about replacing the 15, 16 points and 13 rebounds that Armando Baycott had. And because of it, they're really just one guard away from being right back to where they were last year. Obviously, there's still a possibility, as I record here Thursday night, that they lose Caleb Love. If they lose Caleb Love, they're going to find somebody in the portal. And right now, the portal is humming over the last few days. A lot of big-time guards have gone in. Um, you know, Kendrick Davis from SMU, Antoine Davis, who's more of a scorer than a, a point guard, but he's in. We're going to talk about him in a minute. So they will figure out a way to replace Caleb Love. But I'll also say this, and I said this in my immediate reaction. It feels really good that the possibility exists that Caleb Love might end up back on campus next year. And, you know, to be clear, I have no real, I have no, not any, no real, I have no inside information, period, on this. But when you just think about it at its most basic level, I look at it like this. If you're Armando Baycott, if you know that your success next year relies heavily on the guards on your roster, I don't think he is making this decision as early as he did, as quickly as he did, if he doesn't believe like there's a real possibility that Caleb Love is coming back. If you know that Caleb Love is bouncing, what you're probably going to do is say, you know what, I'm going to go test the draft waters, I'm going to go do whatever, I'm going to take my time, I'm going to take time to consider if I really should just go pro at this point. And so the fact that he was so quick to announce he's coming back, probably a great sign that Caleb Love is coming back too. We should find out about that in the coming days and weeks. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm just telling you, if Caleb Love comes back with Armando Baycott, I think we are definitely talking about the preseason number one team in the country. Uh, if they don't get Caleb Love back, but they get one of those difference-making guards, I could make that case as well. But they're going to be up there with Arkansas. They're going to be up there with UCLA, depending on what happens there. They're going to be up there with Kansas, depending on what happens there. They're going to be up there maybe with Kentucky, if Kentucky can get Shebway back and figure out the backcourt. But you talk about a team that's going to be as good as anybody coming into next year, it's North Carolina. So credit Armando Baycott, credit Hubert Davis. And the last thing I would say is this. I thought that Oscar Shebway might be the poster boy, and he still probably would be the poster boy, or the face of the new era of college basketball where players make so much money in NIL that they can go ahead and wait to go pro for another year. By the way, the exact opposite of, or the exact, exactly what Nick Saban was talking about. What was Nick Saban talking about last segment? He was saying, guys, this was what NIL was supposed to be. This is what it's becoming. Well, Armando Baycott, Oscar Shibway, perfect examples of guys where NIL really could be the difference. So I thought it was going to be Oscar Shibway. That was the guy that, that, that came back to college basketball because of NIL, and all of a sudden you start to realize, wow, there is money to be made for these superstars in college basketball, and maybe they are going to come back and play another year because ultimately there's more money to be made for them in college than the pros. Instead, what ends up happening? Like I said, Armando Baycott comes back, and right now he is the face of what could be this new movement of really good college players that maybe aren't great pro prospects. I'm not talking about Paulo Bencaro. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, whoever, Ty Ty Washington. I'm not talking about in previous years, John Wall or, or, or Jabari Parker or whoever. But those guys that are really good college players like Oscar Shibwe, like Armando Baycott, maybe like Johnny Juzang, maybe like Hunter Dickinson, who all of a sudden now sit back and say, you know what? There is real money for me to make playing college basketball. So Armando Baycott is back. 
I will update that top 25 here at some point. Uh, Aaron Torres online is where you can find that. But I'll tell you this, man. Like I said, Armando Baycott is back. I think Carolina will be in my top five in my latest update. We'll see what happens there. And if they get Caleb Love back as well, and obviously R.J. Davis, and there's no real shocking moves in the transfer portal, I think it's very possible that they are my number one team in the country going into next year. We're officially on Caleb Love Watch, people. Where's the love? I want to know. I want to know where Caleb is because if he comes back, I am fired up to watch Carolina next year. So what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break? I do want to come back, and I do want to talk about Portal stuff. I told you a minute ago, um, you know, Portal, these, these segments that I've been doing, you guys love them. So what I'm going to do, come back, rip through the biggest stories in the Portal right now. We're talking about UConn, crazy week at UConn. Why is it so quiet at Kentucky? Uh, one SEC school that has really actually very much impressed me over these last couple weeks, a school that I have not given credit to yet, a couple other odds and ends from the Portal, We'll be right back with some major College Hoops Transfer Portal talk. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to uh, wrap the show here, final segment of the show. And I do want to do what is quickly becoming one of the more popular segments that we do in any given week here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and it is the Transfer Portal News and Notes segments. Like I said, I've been doing them about the last two, three, four weeks now. I remember doing one, the first one really at the Final Four. I remember recording it in my hotel room at New Orleans, and I only bring it up because since then, these have become some of the most downloaded shows that I do, and the YouTube numbers explode on them, and so it's very clear that you guys and girls like them, and so what I just want to do now is really, it's been about a week or so since I last did one of these, I want to rip through the biggest stories in the portal of the last couple weeks, or the last week or so, some of the big commitments, some of the big guys that have entered the portal, and really what you need to know, and really what are the big stories stories. In terms of the stories themselves, I would argue that the single biggest story from the portal over the last week is at my alma mater, UConn, where one, they got a really, really good player out of the portal. We'll get to him in a minute. Two, they had a couple guys enter the portal. This after a couple guys entered the portal right after the season ended. And it led to just a great all-time commentary from Dan Hurley, the head coach at UConn. I loved what he said. I loved his candor about this whole situation. So let's get into it because, uh, like I said, UConn kind of went into the offseason, really especially once R.J. Cole, uh, their star guard, all Big East guard, decided not to use his extra year of eligibility. Point guard was the number one priority for UConn in the portal. And on Wednesday, they got the guy that they wanted. Give Dan Hurley a ton of credit here. They needed a point guard. They targeted one specific guy. They had him on campus this past weekend. His name is Tristan Newton, and he is a really good player. Averaged just under 18 points per game last year at East Carolina. Five rebounds, five assists, one and a half steals, six foot five. And Dan Hurley even said over the course of uh, his media availability that he believes that Tristan Newton is basically an NBA caliber player. He's got the size, he's got the measurables. Now it's on Dan Hurley to get him to that next level because he is capable of doing it. Why this is important is because exactly what I just said. 
I am actually, <laughs> and people are going to call me a homer, I'm a bigger believer in UConn than most. Uh, I really like the core that they have coming back. Jordan Hawkins was a freshman who showed flashes. Uh, really three-level scorer, the kind of guy that UConn needs. Um, to really step up over the course of next season. Andre Jackson, multi-year starter, really talented, really mentally tough, really love how he developed over the course of the season. And then you have Adama Sonogo down low, big guy who was all Big East this year. Like some of the freshmen they brought in, Alex Caravan, who redshirted this year. Also, uh, Donovan Klinlin, who is uh, from Connecticut, Connecticut Player of the Year, seven-footer. I bring all this up to say I really liked UConn's roster, but the one thing they needed was a point guard, and so credit to Dan Hurley for getting his guy, and now I believe with it that UConn is, I believe, a top-20 team at worst going into next year. Villanova's kind of going through the process where they lose some guys. Providence loses some guys. Marquette lost a guy to the portal, which I thought was really important to who they are and what they're about. And so I look at the Big East, and I think Creighton is the clear number one next year. And then I think UConn and Villanova are right behind them in terms of one and or two and two A, I guess you would say. Xavier with Sean Miller is also coming on strong. With that said, though, it wasn't just that UConn picked up a big time commitment, although that is part of it. Part of it is also everything else that happened around it. So let's get into it because this offseason, UConn has lost four players to the transfer portal. Um, and I, I think three of them were probably expected. One was a kid named Rashul Diggins, a you know kind of six foot one guard freshman, didn't really play a ton last year. Um, you know, it, it had been rumored since really the middle of the season that he could potentially leave. He ends up deciding to transfer. I saw recently he's going to visit Rhode Island. He's going to visit Massachusetts, UMass, places like that. Uh, on top of that, there was another guard, Jalen Gaffney, backup, kind of a third-year guy, didn't really develop into a starting caliber point guard in the Big East. He decides to hit the portal, and the other day, uh, a cook, a cook, who was just a, a really high-profile high school player, dealt with multiple injuries, was never really able to get back to 100%. Those three guys all decide to leave, and I think it was kind of expected by the UConn fan base, and nobody's upset, and everybody kind of gets that this is the new world. So why do I bring it up? It is because the fourth guy caught everybody off guard, and this is kind of one of the, you know, while I, I, I hate to kind of go on an individual player, what I would also say is this is kind of one of the things that I love to do on this show, which is take you behind the scenes and let you know kind of what's happening within a program, what's happening within a fan base, etc. And so on Tuesday, like I said, three guys have hit the portal, uh, but there was a fourth one. And it caused all sorts of chaos. His name was Corey Floyd, uh, Corey Floyd Jr., six foot five freshman this year. Okay, he was a recruit in the class of 2022. He decided to reclassify, enroll at UConn this year, and decided that he was going to redshirt this year. So he came in knowing that he wasn't going to play, and on Tuesday decided he's going to hit the transfer portal. And UConn fans went bananas because I think there was a frustration. It almost reminds me on a smaller scale of what happened with Shaden Sharp at Kentucky where there was an understanding coming into this season that he was not going to play. He doesn't play. Um, and I think the insinuation seems to be that most people believe that when Tristan Newton committed, he realized he wasn't going to have a starting spot on the team next year, and he decided to hit the portal. Again, this is speculation on my part. I think it's informed speculation, but that is my understanding of how it went down, and UConn fans went crazy, and it actually led to a great, great, great commentary, rant, comment, if you will, from Dan Hurley later in the week. I believe it was on Wednesday he had some media availability. And so on Wednesday, he's kind of asked about this new world, you know, because Dan Hurley, for people who don't know, 
Dan Hurley's old school. You know, son of a high school coach, we all know that whole story, but he's a program builder. Started at a New Jersey high school where he coached J.R. Smith, uh, goes to Wagner, goes to Rhode Island, and he's a guy that when he recruits you, you know, he's going to coach you really hard, but he's going to love you really hard. And year one, you might not like him, and then year two, you're going to get better, and then year three, all of a sudden, you're going to be better than you ever could have imagined, and that's how Dan Hurley has always run his program. So to see a guy come in or to see multiple guys come in and after one year just decide, I'm out, I think it frustrated him. And so here is some of the commentary that he said this weekend, this week, which I absolutely loved. He said, for the most part, I understand the basketball moves made by the guys who left. The last two years, we have made a lot of progress, but it's not up to the standard that I'd like to see. It was very clear that we needed to get better in the late signing period here. I get that their roles had diminished where it made sense for them to leave for the most part. Part of why they're leaving is because we understand we have to go out and get better. Then he continued, program building the way I've done it my whole career with people staying together intact and proving and growing a role and going from somebody that you can't play to playable to being one of your key players. I don't know how often that's going to happen anymore with the culture of basketball and the portal option. This is a wake up call for me that I've got to continue to try to recruit young men, young players that you could, go, you could be with through their journey and develop over the course of years and that they'll be willing to go through that process with you. My eyes are a lot more open to blending the use of the portal with that and being much more flexible. Finally, he shares a story. James Booknight, who now plays for the Charlotte Hornets, I tell these kids the truth about themselves. Booknight will tell you, Book will tell you that His nickname for me was, when I first started coaching book, I became the shade king, like I'm throwing shade on people. Once James grew up a little bit, he moved me to the truth king. So in other words, Dan Hurley just came out and basically said, like, look, you know, the way I've been doing things, I don't know if I can do it anymore. And I think it's an important moment for this time in college basketball, because I do think it's an evolving thing. And I want to get to some other stuff, but I thought the comments were really, really, really good. And I'll tell you why. It's for two reasons. One... I love when coaches tell the truth. I don't get mad. I get mad at Dabo Sweeney for being dumb, but I love his honesty in terms of everything other than the transfer portal. I loved what Nick Saban said earlier this week about the state of college sports. I love when coaches are honest, and it is clear that Dan Hurley is frustrated with some things, and frankly, to be honest, maybe even some players that have been brought into the program. The other thing I would say, I love the fact that he is willing to evolve and understand hey, the way I've been doing it the last 25 years might not be the way that we do it going forward. So it'll be curious to see. I still believe um, you know, that he is a coach that can develop players over the course of two, three, four years. I saw it watching him at Rhode Island. I've seen him at UConn where he has done uh, just an awesome job with guys like RJ Cole, Adama Sinogo. There's been plenty of pro, uh, James Booknight's another one who's playing in the NBA now. I believe in this guy. I love that he was honest. And I also love... Uh, I also love that he is willing to to really kind of reconsider how he's done things and that maybe the reality is the portal is something that is going to be a factor going forward. That said, switch gears. I do want to hit on a couple other topics. One, I find really interesting, and I don't really know if it's a topic or not. Has anyone noticed how quiet Kentucky has been in the transfer portal? And, and, and I don't mean to make this a Kentucky thing. We talk a lot about Kentucky. We just talked about Oscar Shibway on last episode. But last year... Kentucky was as aggressive as anybody in the portal. They got Oscar Shibway in the winter, and then in the spring it was Kellen Grady, followed by C.J. Frederick, followed by Severe Wheeler, and we can criticize how things ended at Kentucky. Severe Wheeler was one of the better point guards in college basketball for most of the season. 
Kellen Grady was one of the better shooters. He was the statistically the best three-point shooter in the SEC for most of the season, and Oscar Sheepway, it speaks for itself. So the fact that Kentucky has basically been very, very, very quiet to me is very surprising in terms of this transfer portal cycle. Now, what I would say about Kentucky, I'll be honest. This is, and I've checked in with some people that, that are closer to Kentucky than I am, it really feels to me like John Calipari's whole offseason plan is, hey, let's get Oscar Sheepway back and then figure everything else out from there. Does anybody else feel like that is what Kentucky's uh, MO is for this offseason? Because that's what it feels like to me. And let me explain. Um, you know, like I said, last year they were as aggressive as anybody in the portal. This year they've kind of dabbled a little bit with a couple guards. Antonio Reeves transfer from, uh, I believe it's Illinois State, really high volume scorer. He is going to visit this weekend. But what has been shocking is Kentucky has essentially not even attempted to go out and get any front court help. And part of it is they, they should have most of the front court back. Damian Collins has said he'll be back. Jacob Toppin is testing the waters, but I assume he'll be back. Keon Brooks will see what he does if he decides to come back or transfer. He is testing the waters as well. But I'll just tell you this. If I knew for sure that I was losing 18 points and 14 and a half rebounds per game, I would probably be pretty darn aggressive in the portal, and it does not appear as though John Calipari and his staff are being aggressive, certainly not in the front court. And so it's just been an interesting observation for me. I think coming off of this previous season where you have so much regular season success, it ends in the first round of the NCAA tournament with a historic loss to St. Peter's. I think we all thought there's going to be major shakeup. You know, no stone is going to be left unturned to make sure that this does not happen again. Instead, what happens? It's basically been very, very, very quiet, and it appears as though to me that this program is basically under, operating under the, the idea that get Oscar Sheebway back, and then we will figure things out from there. It's what it seems to me. Again, I, I, I'm surprised they're not as aggressive in the front court. I think they, frankly, should be more aggressive in the back court. I don't think Shaden Sharp's coming back. I don't know if you can go to battle with just Severe Wheeler, with just... C.J. Frederick coming off major injury and just with Cason Wallace, uh, who, of course, was a uh, McDonald's All-American this year. Just feels like they need at least one to two more guards, and it feels like they should be probably more aggressive in pursuit of those guys. Maybe they're waiting on some other guys to enter. Maybe they know some stuff that I don't. I just find it very, very, very interesting. They have been very quiet here in the portal. Uh, really quickly, a couple other teams. You know, I want to give one guy credit that I have been pretty critical of over the last couple weeks. That is the new Florida head coach, Todd Golden. So if you remember when Todd Golden was hired, um, I, was, I, I basically said I don't like it. You know, he's 36 years old. Uh, he is an analytics guy, a guy that's really based his entire career off analytics. He was, came from San Francisco in the WCC. And I just said, I don't know that a guy who's analytics-based from the West Coast who has spent one year as an assistant in the SEC is the guy that I would hire uh, at Florida. But at the same time, I have to give credit where it's due. And I think he's done a great job with a couple things over the last couple weeks. One, he got his best player, Colin Castleton, back. Uh, you know, read some stuff that maybe some NIL really helped get him back to campus. You know, he knows that financially he's going to be okay. Two, they have gotten two really nice players out of the transfer portal that I really like. And what I like about them is they are kind of foundational pieces. I don't think either of them are going to be like an instant impact all-SEC guy next year. But they're two guys that could grow in the program and I think, frankly, have NBA potential. The most recent one, it came on Wednesday night. 
Alex Fudge, about a 6'8", 6'9", wing who played this past season at LSU. I'll tell you this. He is a guy, um, you know, he just got caught up in a numbers game at LSU. Uh, didn't have a ton of kind of statistical impact, if you will. But when you're bored at some point over the next couple days, when you finish up, if you're watching this on YouTube, when this video's done, go listen to the rest of my videos, but then go find some clips of this guy on YouTube because he is an A++++ athlete. Um, and if he ever puts it together, he's playing in the NBA. Uh, you know, I know some NBA people that have been talking about him since he was in high school. Again, it didn't totally click this year at LSU. That's fine. But that is a guy, if he can get it together under Todd Golden, that is an all-SEC type player, and that is a guy that can play in the NBA. The other guy they got really about a week or so ago was a kid from Belmont named Will Richard, and he's kind of a very similar story to Alex Fudge. Will Richard is a guy that, um, you know, was kind of a just, a, it seems as though he was kind of an under-recruited, under-the-radar guy coming out of high school. But he's six foot five, big guard, great measurables, uh, and as a freshman this year at Belmont, averaged twelve point six rebounds and shot thirty three percent from three. And so he's another one. Just watch some film. He's got the NBA size. He's got the NBA measurables. He's got the NBA this. He's got the NBA that. And so I got to give Todd Golden credit where it's due because I do believe that when I look at his transfer portal impact that he's had so far, and I'm sure he's not done because he's lost some other guys. Todd Golden, I think, has gotten two really nice players out of the portal, and I'm curious to see what he has going on next. Really quickly, the last team we got to give a little credit to. How about them Wyoming Cowboys, okay? I don't know how much we've talked Wyoming basketball, but last weekend they had an incredible portal run. They got three guys out of the portal, all from the Pac-12. Jake Kyman, a shooter from uh, UCLA, Ethan Anderson, a point guard from USC, and Max Agbonpolo, uh, a backup wing from USC. And what I could tell you is a couple things. One, first of all, and it's worth noting and why it's important, Wyoming was a team that made the NCAA tournament this past year, and their two best players, Graham E.K. and Hunter Maldonado, are coming back next season. So you're talking about an NCAA tournament team with their two best players coming back, and now you added three impact pieces from the Pac-12. That's big time. Jake Kyman, as I said, he's a three-point shooter. He was a guy that really in Mick Cronin's first year, the COVID year, really was excellent and really provided them some good minutes. He kind of got caught up in a numbers game. I think he'll be really good. Max Agbonpolo, uh, you know, another guy, NBA size, length, athleticism, never really put it together at USC, but has an opportunity there over at Wyoming. And Ethan Anderson was a starting point guard for a, a big stretch last year when USC made the, the Elite Eight. And so I got to give credit where it's due. Wyoming, uh, the Wyoming Cowboys, baby, are uh, they're in my preseason top 25 right now. And I think if you're looking for those teams that are a little bit off the radar that you're going to want to watch next year, Wyoming is one of them. A couple other quick news and notes. Uh, first of all, in terms of commitments, uh, big one out of... Uh, Big one out of uh, uh, UAB, actually. So Eric Gaines, talk about a lot of LSU guys, Alex Fudge, we just talked about a minute ago. Eric Gaines, really talented guard. Uh, I really, really like how he played. He was kind of a guy that got caught up in a backup role at LSU over the last two years. He just finished his sophomore year. First year was behind Javante Smart. Last year was behind Xavier Pinson. But at LSU, in about 26 minutes of play, averaged nine points, three rebounds, three assists. But here's the catch. When Xavier Pinson went out, Eric Gaines basically played at an all-SEC level. 16 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists against Texas A&M. 
14 points, two rebounds, six assists versus TCU, who of course was an NCAA tournament team. 14 points, three rebounds, two assists against Vanderbilt. 15 points, four rebounds, two assists against Florida. 14 points, six rebounds, four assists against Arkansas. When he was put into action, he was a really good player. So he ends up at UAB. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, good week for Conference USA. UAB gets Eric Gaines. I think he's I think he's an NBA player who's going to UAB. Shout out Andy Kennedy. And of course, the other big news out of Conference USA, Western Kentucky getting Dante Allen, uh, the sharpshooter that played at Kentucky. Obviously, uh, never really got on the court much except for that COVID year when everything else went wrong. I think Dante Allen's going to be really good. Uh, I should mention another former LSU player, Brandon Murray, commits to Georgetown. Listen, said it, I've said it for two years. Patrick Ewing, from an X's and O's perspective, really, really, really impresses me. I think he is, I don't want to say he's as good as anybody, I don't know, but with that NBA background, I mean, I remember watching him during that year they made the NCAA tournament. It's like, he's making so, he is a really, really good coach. He puts his players in great position. I just never thought he had good enough players. This offseason, coming off the disastrous year that they had, I give the administration credit. They said, we're going to keep Patrick. We're going to make him go get a new coaching staff because I don't think that previous coaching staff was as committed in the recruiting space as they needed to be. Uh, one of the guys Patrick Ewing hired, Kevin Nickelberry, who coached this past season at LSU. He lands Brandon Murray, all-SEC freshman team this past year. Brandon Murray averaged 10 points per game for LSU. Final big commitment. I didn't talk about this. This happened late last week. Mark Sears, uh, a guard who played at Ohio, averaged 20 points per game, commits to Alabama. And what I would say about Mark Sears is a couple things. First of all, keep in mind, Alabama, NATO, it's that coaching staff, they came from the MAC. So they know what it takes for a kid to, to you know, play at that level, have success at that level. And they clearly believe that he is a guy that is going to have success there. What I would also tell you is this. I'm really excited to see what NATO and this staff continue to do in the transfer portal because I think they're going to continue to be aggressive. I know it was a weirdly disappointing year this year. I mean, as disappointing as it was, they beat Gonzaga, beat Baylor, beat Houston during the regular season, get a six seed in the NCAA tournament. It, it didn't end well. I can't argue that. But I think kids are smart enough to see the style of play, to see the guys that he is now putting in the NBA. Keep in mind, Herb Jones, Kyra Lewis, all these guys are instant impact, you know, are guys that are having success in the NBA. Josh Primo was starting an NBA playoff game on Wednesday night for the San Antonio Spurs. So I'm curious to see what Nate Oates does, but I do like the Mark Sears edition over the last couple weeks. I think he's going to be a solid backcourt running mate. I think the big thing at Alabama to watch out for, there's real buzz that Javon Quinterly may be back next year. Javon Quinterly, of course, was their starting point guard, gets hurt during the NCAA tournament. During that game, uh, Javon Quinterly basically says, uh, you know, he puts out a tweet after the game saying, I can't believe my college career ended like this. There's increased buzz that, hey, if you got to go through the rehab process, if you're not going to be 100%, come back here. We'll take care of you NIL-wise. We'll figure out a way to get you a little bit of money in your pocket. Come be the starting point guard. Also, Alabama, Namari Burnett, former McDonald's All-American transfer from Texas Tech, missed all of this past season. He'll be back next year as well. I actually like Alabama a lot. Some really good recruits coming in as well. Only real big name to enter the portal since I recorded on Wednesday, uh, Antoine Davis. Antoine Davis is the son of Mike Davis. You guys and girls remember Mike Davis? Mike Davis uh, was, of course, the guy. Uh, Mike Davis, of course, was the guy that coached Indiana for a while. <laughs> he coached at UAB. He coached at Texas Southern. He coached the last couple of years at Detroit Mercy, and he brought his son Antoine Davis with him. Well, here is what Antoine Davis has done as a college basketball player over four years at Detroit Mercy. 
He averaged, as a freshman, 26 points per game. As a sophomore, 24 points per game. As a junior, 24 points per game. This past season, 24 points per game on 38% three-point shooting. And so I bring it up because he is a really good player. He probably would have been a high major player from the beginning if he didn't go play for his dad. But after four years with his dad, he decided he's going to go and, and, and see what else is out there at the college level. I'll tell you this. You average 24 points a game, even at the mid-major level. When you are the focal point of every single other team's game plan, you can play anywhere. And so he's about six foot one. He's a smaller guard. He's got to go to the right place. But if he goes to the right place... I'm not kidding when I say I think he can be like a 16 to 18 point a game scorer at the right spot. So we'll see Antoine Davis. He is the, the really the biggest name that has entered the portal over the last couple days. Really curious to see what he does from here. That said, I think it's time to get out of here. Fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Appreciate you guys and girls listening. And I continue, I, I should say, I, continue, I appreciate you guys continuing your support here into the college basketball offseason, college football offseason. Um, the numbers stay good. The numbers have been very impressive. I am so grateful to each and every one of you and thankful for you guys supporting this show. Got some nice emails, DMs this week about the show, what we've been doing. So thank you for the support. I should also say, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, Make sure to rate and review the show. If you could, go to iTunes. Just give me a quick five stars. really does help the show. Uh, make sure you're following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. We got all the Torres on media feeds going. If you're a Bama fan, Torres on Bama, Torres on the Hogs, Torres on the Falls, Torres on UK, Kentucky, Torres on Arizona. Make sure you're following those as well, Torres on UConn. Make sure you're following those as well. Um, and that's really it. Again, if you have questions or thoughts or things you want on the show, always feel free to email me, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. With that said, I do have to get out of here, though. So I want to thank you guys and girls for listening. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'll be back on f- what? Monday. Monday. All new episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'll be back, people. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.